As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. What's up, Trinity Western? My name is Mo Isom Aiken, and it is an absolute pleasure to be joining you guys this afternoon as we continue to unpack uh, and to dig into the deep layers of really, really important conversation. Conversation that is our right, our place as the body of Christ to uh, be having, to be carrying out uh, in fullness around sex, sexuality, singleness, what it looks like uh, to steward our bodies well, to steward our minds, our hearts, our spirits well as we navigate relational health set apart from the world. This is a topic that I'm really, really passionate about uh, and is one that I have known a lot of brokenness in and confusion in, one that a lot of my testimony centers around. Uh, so today I want to share a little bit of my testimony with you all, um, but also unpack uh, some deeper prophetic sight, some spirit-led sight into why God calls us to walk and to live as he does. It's one thing to understand the surface level. It's another to understand the biblical call, but it's another to understand the why behind it all, the spirit-led sight uh, that compels our response in, in response to his great grace and in response to his great love. I love making people uncomfortable. <laughs> Not really making people uncomfortable, but I love talking about topics that we often shy away from. Um, I authored the book, Wreck My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold, which was my testimony of coming to faith through adversity, identity issues, the suicide of my dad, horrific car accident. Uh, and then following that, I authored a second book called Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. Because I realized that there was a whole portion of my story, this paralleled layer to my testimony, really, that involved sex, sexuality, strongholds, struggles, brokenness, an incredible encounter with Jesus, and the way that my life changed completely. And that affected that whole layer of how I carried myself in singleness, how I carried myself then in relationships. Christ's blood, his love, his sacrifice permeates every layer of our lives. And uh, it should be our joy, our privilege to discuss these things and to unpack some of the whys. It's kind of like give this generation a rule list, do this, don't do that, watch us break the rules. But answer the questions, the longing, the deepest heart wrestling matches of this generation and you will watch us change the world, truly shine as a city on a hill that, that can't be put out, that can't be ignored, truly be vessels used for his glory. And that should be our goal as Christ followers, one who have met him, who have received his great grace and who care to be used by him to see kingdom come here on earth as it will be in heaven. So 
I'm going to pray quickly before we jump in. And then I really want us to, um, again, walk through a little bit of testimony, but also dig into this scripture and see things with fresh eyes. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you so much for this time uh, gathered together, Lord, with these students, with these young adults. God, thank you for the freedom and the opportunity to come together and to share, uh, to dig deep into your word, to profess your truth, Lord, uh, and to pray our hearts in alignment with yours, God, and to walk in step, empowered by your spirit, that our lives may also be in alignment with your will, your ways, and what is truly best for us, the instruction given to us by you as we carry forward the call. Lord, we commit this time to you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would move. I ask that you would prophesy, Lord, that you would translate my words and directly apply them to each and every life, tuned in, watching, listening, God. Minister to the hearts of your sons and your daughters, Lord, and help us walk away with greater prophetic sight, an anointing, Lord, an anointing by your Spirit of increased prophetic sight, that we may know the why at the roots of our obedience at the roots of our redemption, really. We love you, we trust you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as I mentioned a little bit ago, my, my testimony is not so squeaky clean in this area. Um, I certainly grew up um, in the church. I grew up with, with great well-meaning parents who who worked really hard to instill in me what it meant to be a godly woman. But when it came to the layer of sex, of sexuality, of singleness, of dating, of engagement, of marriage, this area that really is a, uh, a critical and undeniable portion of our very identity, it seemed as though my parents assumed the church was having harder conversations with me. The church assumed my parents were having harder conversations with me, but in reality, no one was rightly cultivating these conversations, these hard questions, and these deep and important truths with me. So my framework for what it meant to steward my body, I guess if you want to use those words, what it meant to uh, navigate sex and my sexuality and my identity as a young woman, it was really framed by the world by pop culture, by what I saw in the movies and TV and uh, apps and games and uh, all of the many places that we visually, audibly consume what the world has to tell us about these very things, about our identity, about sex, about singleness, about dating. It was very much framed by a worldview. And as a result, I uh, was really thrust into all consumed by worldliness in this layer of my life. Now, don't get me wrong, I was really good at um, faking it, at, at, at walking out what um, I thought a good Christian was supposed to walk out. I remember at nine years old, I came to ask my mom a question about snake reproduction for a science project, and we ended up being catapulted into a much deeper conversation because of some of the terms I was using and different things I was saying that made evident I had been exposed to quite a bit already at nine. And my mom sort of nervously tried to handle that moment by saying, no, 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 you know, um, 
baby, uh, we're, we're Christians and, and God desires that we be virgins when we marry. And I was a virgin when I married your father and he was a virgin when he married me. And I remember interrupting her and triumphantly standing up and then saying, well, mother, then I too will be a virgin when I marry. And I marched out of the room with this vain virginity vow that was well-meaning in the heart of a nine-year-old, though I had no clue really what I was talking about but also halted me at a works-based response to what truly from God is a heart surrender question. You see, far more often in scripture, purity is spoken of than simply virginity. Virginity is a beautiful byproduct of a pure heart, a pure life. But we're instructed in the world, uh, in the word, to navigate life with purity, pure thoughts, pure actions, pure words. And so, the continuation of that conversation, the why that would compel my obedience wasn't really navigated. And what my mom didn't realize at that time was that already at nine, I had had an older neighbor take me down to a fort by our creek and, and tell me everything they knew quite graphically about sex. I'd been exposed to quite a bit, uh, again, on the TV and in the movies and uh, what she really didn't know was that I had come across my own father's stash of pornography and that the sight of those things as a very young child, though I didn't understand what I was seeing, seared something in me. And it started as shame and as confusion and as avoidance and eventually because porn truly serves sexual perversion, really serves like a siren calling us to the cliffs, eventually it turned into curiosity, into desire. I began to seek out these things. And from nine to about 19 years old, navigated a very intense addiction to pornography. Always behind closed doors, always at the, pin, uh, the, the, the keypad of a computer screen, but gripped in such a way. And yet proclaiming this virginity vow self-righteous really, this banner I waved because I was a Christian from a Christian family and uh, really the posture of my heart wasn't um, pure. The questions I asked as I began to mature and keeping this vain virginity vow was harder and harder. What I began to ask by my flesh was, okay, God, how far is too far? Like what qualifies and, and, and what can I do and still be considered a virgin? Really, the posture of our hearts and asking that is how much can I get away with and not go to hell? And a pure heart would ask a very different question. It's the wrong question we ask when our mind and our carnal desires want us to uh, try to understand how far is too far. It's the wrong question. A pure heart would ask, oh God, how close can I draw near to you? Transform my life, purify my thoughts, purify my heart. Allow me to be a pure vessel used by you and for you. But this often isn't our question. From a worldview, I was entertained, exposed rapidly and constantly. I saw sex as a detached thing. I saw all that fell under the umbrella of sex and sexuality as a freedom 
thing. We could do what we wanted. It was our bodies, right? Especially with porn, with masturbation. Well, I wasn't hurting anyone else, right? It was just me and I was carnally driven. I began to push the envelope uh, with people as I navigated maturity and dating. Every dating relationship had to involve physicality. That is very much what it felt like. And I pushed the envelope further and further and further and further over and over again, rationalizing, waking up very broken and very empty, but rationalizing in my mind that these things were all fine. And a freshman in college, my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger and suicide entered my story. And if you want to talk about things that will compel us even deeper into sexual brokenness, it will be the trauma in our lives and the pain and the loss. And I was compelled even further into seeking any sin-sized piece to fill the God-sized hole in my heart, anything that could numb what I was feeling and what I was suffering through. But a turning point for me came in college as well, about a year later, when uh, I'd gone out with a group of friends and was drinking heavily. And at some point in the night, there was a young man, a gentleman who had joined our group. And I was hazy on the details of who he was or why he'd joined our crew, but we were out at the bars having a good time. And I woke up the next morning very hungover and replaying in my mind what had happened the night before. And suddenly it was like a knife in the gut I remembered, wait a second, who was this guy who had joined our group? And why was I fooling around with him in the kitchen? And what had they said about him? That he was married? That he was separated? Was he divorced? What had I done with him without any thought and my inhibitions down? And was he a married man? Had I committed adultery? Am I an adulteress? And in that moment, it felt like the world crashing down. I was this good, well-meaning girl who had made this vain virginity vow, right? I looked good on the surface, but inside I was addicted to pornography. I was habitually acting upon any urge and any desire. I now had adultery stamped over my story if I had not already had it by even lusting with the eyes like the word tells us. Now I had very firm evidence of adultery on my life. And I thought, how did I get here, God? How did I get here? From the well-meaning, good girl, successful athlete, whatever it may be, to a very, very broken and hurting woman. And I couldn't deny that my life, my actions, my choices, while I may have professed Jesus with my lips, my life reflected very different fruit and would have challenged that justification in my heart because I was actively and continually choosing to sin and I was crushed under the weight of that. The shame of that was silencing. It was paralyzing. I remember a short while after that, I was in a horrific car accident. Really, I was at the end of my rope. I was suicidal understood why my dad did, saw it as a viable option, very broken, very tired of faking fine, very tired of wearing masks and making it look like life was all together, had a reputation that was beginning to precede me when it came to physicality. And I remember crying out, God, just end everything. 
If you're so real, either do something or reveal yourself to me because this life, this way, it's not it. And I'm burnt out and I'm tired and I'm hopeless. And I was in a, a vehicular accident not long after crying those very desperate and frustrated prayers and hanging upside down in the Jeep on the side of the interstate, the Holy Spirit entered that wreckage and was all-consuming and overwhelming. And I encountered the love of God, the mercy of God, and the weight and reality of the righteousness of God and the depravity and brokenness of my state and my sin. And yet I heard this still, small voice that simply said, Will you be still and know that I am God? And the full reality of the gospel kind of came crashing down on me that he didn't just die for my sins. Christ had to die because of my sins. And though he could have brought himself down on that cross, he stayed because of his great love. And because of that, I could receive him and be made new. The old me dead, the new me alive in him, and that was going to cost everything. And I was so ready and so willing because everything I had known was only broken and empty. And I received Christ that night and rose up out of that wreckage. I shouldn't say rose up as if it was so triumphant. I was hospitalized for quite a while. There was a recovery period, but I laid in that bed recovering and felt the weight and the wonder of not just navigating religion, but having encountered relationship, a very real voice of God, very real sight like scales pulled from my eyes, a very real heart of flesh replacing a heart of stone. It was no longer just lip service and the words I knew. I hungered and I thirsted for this great love that I had encountered. And I wanted nothing more than my life to be used for his glory and for my life to be healed and transformed and made whole. And I began my journey as a believer. And one of the very first things that he did was pointed out um, some of my biggest strongholds, my sexual sin and my brokenness. I think often of the woman at the well who he encountered, the Samaritan woman. And it's amazing because he offers her living water and they have this exchange back and forth and she's trying to figure out who he is. And she offer, he offers her living water that, that she would never be thirsty again. And she says, well, I want that. And before he actually gives that to her, he says, all right, go and get your husband. And that phrase alone addressed some of the deepest wounds and the deepest identity definers over her life. She said, I have no husband. And he said, I know. You've had five and the man you're married to now, or the man you're living with now, you're not even married to. And rather than running in shame or running in guilt or running in fear, she sits there in this moment and she wrestles with the living God. Who are you that you would know all of these things about me? 
And he reveals himself actually to her in the first time in the Gospels. He explicitly reveals himself as the Messiah. I am the one who's come to save. I am the one who can redeem. I am the one you are waiting for. The one who writes a new banner over your life and your story. I am the one who calls you redeemed. And this encounter with him compels her into evangelism. She drops her buckets, runs back to town, and many come to believe because there is another man's name on her lips, but this name is the name above all names. This name is the one who has the power to save. And this is the beauty of the power of his love and of his redemption, that not only can we shift from a worldview that has crafted us and wounded us and led us astray, we can shift to a kingdom view, a biblical view. We can encounter his love and not just, okay, I'll do what the Bible says because I guess I am supposed to, but instead we can be compelled into righteous living, into obedience, into sinlessness, when we are compelled by his great love and his mercy and his redemption, suddenly our whole life is worth losing that we may find it. Suddenly we are willing to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us, as the scripture says. Suddenly we are in tune with the heart of God that desires we flee from that which confuses us, wounds us, hurts us that we flee from sexual immorality. It was the very first thing he encountered me with. And I said, ouch. <laughs> I kind of like to pick up and run. I don't really want to address these parts of me, God. But he, he, he made me this promise. He assured my spirit, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It'll be worth it. I remember I stepped into a season of fasting, of an intimacy fast with him as this new believer. I had kind of tried to go back to school and hang with the same group and quickly realized I was falling into and tempted by the same sin. And so I came across the scripture that said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And I said, that all seems pretty non-negotiable. And that grace I encountered was pretty overwhelming. And so what would it look like to give him all of my life? My mind, let it be renewed. My heart, let it be transformed. My spirit, let it come alive. My body, let it be yours. Yes, scripture says that our body, surrendering our bodies is our true and proper worship. Now I thought, elevation. I thought singing these songs out of that, that's worship. No, surrendering of our lives in totality is our true and proper worship. And all I wanted was to worship the one who had set me free. And so he began to give me a biblical view of my body, my identity of sex and sexuality as I stepped into this intimacy fast and allowed him to begin to minister to these pieces and portions of my heart. He began to give me a biblical view of what it looked like to truly walk in my identity, seek my worth from him, not from another, not from their physical touch or the words they could lather me up with, but from the one true God who was never changing, who was sure and whose promises and words spoke power over my life. 
He began to reveal to me the depths of healing that I needed to walk through. And he also began to reveal to me how I was to walk out and conduct myself moving forward so as to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And there were very practical instructions that I came across. But as I pressed in, as I journeyed through that and navigated areas of brokenness, areas I needed to extend forgiveness, areas I needed to seek forgiveness, how I walked forward in purity, man, that was when in prayer, in seeking his heart, he began to unveil my eyes deeper and deeper, further and further layers, and began to reveal by his spirit prophetic truth from his word as well. I want us to go in the scripture to 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. And I want you to see as I read through this that it begins really with very practical understanding we can all kind of grab a hold with, but then the language becomes a little more complex And this is where he gives us prophetic sight that we'll unpack some. And again, we're continued to be given instruction, but I want to invite you to uh, press deeper and see and hear and receive what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20 begins by saying, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Some versions say beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I'll pause even after just one verse and speak a very real and sobering gut punch truth that I had to encounter and that compelled me in transformation or change. You are either serving sin or the sun. You are dominated and lorded by something. Just like a tree, it can't exist free-floating from the soil. Its roots must be planted somewhere. It must be sourcing its nutrients from some ground. And the reality is that we are either planted in sin or have been uprooted by the grace of God and replanted in the soils of righteousness, of the word of God, of truth. And, and we can't exist here. We'd love to think we're free and that our freedom is whatever we decide it is. But the truth is that you are either serving sin or the sun. And you are dominated by that which you serve. I was so dominated by sin. I couldn't escape things if I tried. I thought I could. And we ride that roller coaster, right? Oh, I'll do better. I'll change. I won't. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't. Why with him again? Oh, why porn again? We go for stretches and yet like a siren again, it calls us back to the cliffs, to our death. No, Paul says, I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take them the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What was profound as I began to see some depth and the Spirit began to breathe this word to life was the revelation. It says, so it is written. So it is written that two will become one flesh. And where this is written is in Genesis. Where Adam and Eve are formed. And it says that the man, so it is so that the man will leave the father's house and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh and they will be naked and unashamed. This is the very first example we see of intimacy spoken of in the word. And what God began to reveal to me is that this too prophesied the gospel, the husband representative of Christ, the wife representative of the church, of the body, the believers. Christ, ourselves, the two become one. The gospel is that we would know oneness. The Son of God left his Father's house. God the Father sent his one and only Son. And he makes covenant. He takes his bride with the believer. And the two become one flesh. This is intimacy with Christ. That ultimately our lives, no matter our sin, our shame, our guilt, our past, what we've done, where we've been, when we encounter that great bridegroom, that one who has left his father's house to come for us, to rescue us, to make covenant with us, that we would come together by the great grace of Christ and we would say, I am yours and you are mine. This life is to be lived joined to you. And in this process of intimacy of the bridegroom and the bride coming together of Christ and the church of Yeshua, our Messiah, us as believers coming together, this beautiful process of coming together refines us, transforms us, pull the layers off, the sin off, the shame off, the fear off, and we are unified by the gospel and stand before one another naked, spiritually naked and unashamed. Oh, intimacy with God. It transforms us that by walking in step with him, knowing him and being known by him, allowing the Holy Spirit to begin and, and carry out the work that Christ intended in transforming us, in sanctifying us, in using us for his purposes. Oh, this would be such that in these days, we would know such nearness to the heart of God. We would be so joined with him as one flesh, joined as one spirit. 
that we would be able to stand spiritually naked and unashamed before him. God, you know all of me, every piece of me. There's nothing I've left hidden in the dark corners of my heart. There's no sin that's escaped the power of your blood, the power of your touch. There's nothing in my life that is greater than you that I would hide from you or hold back from you. There is not even sin that has been afflicted upon me that I am unafraid to bring to your throne because you are mine and I am yours and you paid the ultimate price, bought back my body and you are perfectly powerful and sufficient to heal and transform me and use me as we move forward. You see the prophetic sight that we see in looking at this is it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That you as a believer are one with Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee sexual immorality. You see, we take the bait of singleness often. Eve certainly did in the garden. They knew perfect intimacy and oneness with God. But the offer, the enticing offer of sin, the enticing offer of singleness, of autonomy over our authority, we took it. We believed that we were choosing for ourselves what is best for us. Often in our own sexual sin, we believe we're choosing what's best for us. But really, we were just trafficked by the enemy into a brothel joined together frequently with the works and the schemes of the enemy as we live in sin, as we commune with that which is impure, which is unclean, as we continue to carry out our lives, in particular after we have come to know Christ and we go on sinning. We're allowing ourselves to to become one flesh. You see, our bridegroom came for us, made covenant with us, said, you are mine, I am yours. And again, we often take the bait of worshiping others, of idol worship, really, of stewarding our bodies for whatever our pleasure, whatever our purpose. And the pain of this is that our heart is saying, Christ, you are not enough. I don't desire to be one with you. We become adulterous hearted believers who want to kind of have our cake and eat it too claim Christ, but sin as we will. It doesn't work this way. Sin leads to death. The adulterous hearted one, well, it's not missed by God. We unify ourselves with a prostitute. The unclean spirits that say, choose for yourself what's best for you. It's your body, it's your freedom, it's your pleasure. And we separate ourselves from the very grace that found us in our hour of need. And we disable ourselves. We feel far from God. We feel hurt. We feel unusable. We feel shame. We feel guilt. We feel all of the things because we've allowed robbers into the very temple of our body that houses the Holy Spirit, child, child of God, son, daughter of the Most High King. I pray and petition that you would see with clear sight sexual immorality is not worth it. Flee. Allow him to purify your temple. Allow him to transform you from the inside out. 
his grace, his love. Oh, how he seeks after even the rebellious heart, even the adulterous bride. We know the story of Hagar. His grace and his mercy are sufficient and they are coming for you. They long for you. He longs for his bride. But we must choose whom we will serve. We must choose whom we will come back together with. We must choose if the covenant vow of this marriage is worth forsaking all else. If saying yes to Christ means no to all others. If we're willing to walk out this life surrendered in response to his great and perfect love. It's important. Flee sexual immorality. It's a lie. It's a trick. It's a scheme from the enemy that you might become one flesh with another. No. Allow yourselves to be made one with Christ, the ultimate call of the gospel. And walk forward in oneness with the one who saved your soul. He loves you and he longs for you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWU Student Min. Much love.